Great events create great brands, and it takes a village to put on an event that engages, excites, and connects audiences to your brand. And we're that village. I'm Alyssa. I'm Paulina. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Great Events, the podcast for all people interested in events and marketing. Hi, everyone. What's going on in the wide, wide world of events? I'm Paulina, joined today by Alyssa. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's been a while. Yeah. And we'll be your host for today's Great Events podcast. This week, we have a really special repeat guest, which I'm so super excited about. She joined us for our last episode where we were talking about how to combat and manage the stress around event planning. And if you missed last week's episode, want to make sure you have a chance to go back and tune in. But today we are joined by Betsy Paik for episode two in our two-part series with her. So first off, welcome, Betsy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's fun to be here. As we were thinking about today's episode and what we wanted to talk about as sort of a follow-up to our last one, I just started thinking about the timeliness of the year and where we are. And I figured before we jump into you know all the questions and amazing conversation, it's been a long year and I still can't believe we're nearing the end of it. Sometimes I'm like, I still feel like we're in 2020, but what is reflection? Are there certain methods or ways that we should approach having healthy reflection with ourselves? You know, are there certain ways that we need to think about it, whether is it in a matter of measuring successes or failures, or, you know, is there a particular cadence that we should be reflecting? Like is end of the year, this sort of overwhelming doomsday kind of approach? And so I just figured, let's kind of make this a two-part conversation where we're talking about reflection and then kind of weave in or make our way towards the conversation around goal setting. Because Betsy, I know in our conversations that we've had offline that you have some really interesting ways to approach goal setting that are quite frankly, alternative and could be really interesting and impactful for some of our listeners today. So hope I set the stage okay there. I know I'm super long-winded, <laughs> but Let's talk about reflection and do you have any sort of best practices in terms of the timeliness in which we should reflect on successes, failures, mediocrities, what have you? I'm a big fan of New Year's, new beginnings, Monday mornings, like all of that stuff. But I think one of the really unique things about New Year's is that we tend to look long term, right? We look over the whole entire year and I think it gives us an opportunity to look back and say, what was really great? And I'm a fan of celebrating. Every time I get on the phone with my team, I'm always like, everyone tell me a little something that you're celebrating. What's been going good? Because we really can train our brains to start looking for good. Our brains are designed to look for bad so that we stay alive, quite frankly, right? It is scanning constantly for things we might have to be aware of. And I think in our world of technology and and social media and having this instant access, that can really be amplified. So I think looking at successes can be a huge advantage as you move into the next year. So set yourself up and say, you know what, what did I learn? The things that went bad that you would classify as bad, I'm using air quotes. What are those things and what can I learn from those? Because then I'm making it a win. And then what went really great? Because lots of times those things get overlooked. 
one of the practices that I have throughout the week is on like a Thursday or Friday night, typically, my husband and I will say, what are we celebrating? And we'll just talk about the good things that have happened during the week, because we tend to overlook those or we discount ourselves. So I think building this muscle at the end of the year is a great time to reflect and say, what went great? And if something went wrong, what did I learn? Because that makes it great. Betsy, I was going to say, as as event professionals, do you think that we're highly critical of ourselves? I, I don't necessarily put myself in that category. I've always defined myself as a marketer. And I think that marketers are used to that whole like SWOT analysis, right? And you always have like the strengths and the weaknesses, the opportunity, like you go through the whole 360 degree viewpoint and you always do have some good stuff at the end of it. But I do think that there is a hypercritical aspect of event professionals where they always are looking at the bad stuff for improvement. So I'm curious if you find that this is unique in this space. I think that's part of what makes them great, right? Because if you're not detail oriented, if you're not noticing the places that you can improve, then you're probably not as great as your job, right? As you could be. So I think that that is a unique thing with people in these detail oriented positions that can then start to sort of snowball into showing you a lot of places that you need to improve or a lot of things that went wrong. But the truth is, is that getting through an event is an accomplishment in itself. Finding the things that you can learn, and I'm sure that the listeners do a debrief, but include in that debrief the things that went right. How can I even expand on those? So I think you're right. I think it's a detail-oriented position. We tend to focus on those ways that we can improve, but just don't forget the celebrations too. Yeah, the big picture stuff. I, I know we've talked about this. Sorry, Pauline, I don't want to cut you off. I know we've talked about this in the past as some of our favorite moments from events. And I think um, one that Paulina, myself and Rachel, our fellow host, have talked about is the champagne toast that we do at the end of our annual conference event, Connect. And it is our executives who talk about all of the successes that happened. And it's right after, you know, the agony and the ecstasy of an event, right? Everybody is so tired and so fatigued at the end and probably very critical. They have the punch list of things that we need to improve for the following year, which is rightfully so, like it takes stock, but it's nice to cap with a reflection of positivity, I think. And coming from a third party is often really helpful to put you in that kind of positive mindset going into, oh, some things really did go well and maybe we didn't see them. And so seeking out that validation is sometimes helpful in the event space too. Yeah. And I think sometimes with event planners that can go overlooked, right? As a speaker showing up at events after I'm done speaking, people come up all the time. They want to meet me or talk to me or tell me something or email me something. And I have to pause and say, where can I improve? Because I'm getting all this feedback. But I think on the other side with event planners, many times they're in the background, right? And so really making a point of doing that and doing that scanning for that. And so I think that's so great that you guys actually take a moment to celebrate because it's it's overlooked in that whole space. It's a good point because it does happen every marquee event, there is this sort of opportunity for us to hear that positive feedback, those positive reflections. So it's interesting because, you know, I completely associate the annualization of reflecting on the year. And so I don't even realize these moments of impact of reflection that actually are very much a part of that annualized view. So it's almost like we need to take note, we need to take credit and validate those moments because, I feel like they sometimes get mashed together in the annualized view. And so that's just a really great call out that 
be specific with these opportunities of impact because they they should be those moments that stand out in your annualized week. Right. It's almost like you need to call them that in those moments as opposed to because we're so used to the annual re- resolutions and the annual reflection. I'm even thinking back to our president is usually the one who gives that speech. And he's like, I'd like to take a moment to reflect on the last four days. And it like gives you that space to say, we're going to talk about all the good stuff that just happened. And it fuels the next event experience. And you can learn from the good stuff just as much as you can learn from the hard stuff. One of the things I've been doing this past year is good things at the end of the week, I write them in my calendar. So like if I finished a book or I went out with my girlfriends or do you know what I mean? Like any kind of little thing that was fun and meaningful to me. And so then over the past, like over the Thanksgiving weekend, I was just looking through and compiling this list. And I was like, there's been so many good things that I would have forgotten. So even like jotting those things down as you go along, you know, what's working? Cause you'll forget you really will. I love that. I have kind of an interesting question. So It's a lot easier to write down the things that are going well, that you're grateful for, that you're happy with or proud of. But what about taking with you, I don't want to say failures, but perhaps learnings. Is there a a particular way that you catalog learnings to kind of fuel you forward from like a personal perspective? Less so about the event post-con, the event debrief, right? Those are sort of traditional tactical learnings. But even just thinking about your own personal measurement, is writing it down another key way or is there something else that you could perhaps suggest? I'm gonna answer this and I'm gonna try <laughs> and I'm gonna try to not make it confusing. So I am a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, which is really like it's a, a series of patterns, really, but it's a way to, that your mind organizes how you see the world, how you really create reality. So I actually have a regular, I'm going to say like system where at night I go through the whole day and I change. Let me say it this way. Okay. This is going to be fun. If, if I was sitting at a picnic table and I'm, I'm 51 years old. So if I was sitting at a picnic table at 51 years old with my 30 year old self and my 20 year old self, and I said, self, tell me a story when you were 15. Every single version of me would tell a different story because our memory is just not reliable. But what happens is that we have something that is negative or hard in our lives, and then we leave it there. And now that is the way it's left in our memory. And now 10 years go by and it feels bad. The story might be a little different around it, but it doesn't feel good anymore. So my take on it is that every day I want to clean up what I call my timeline. So I clean up my day and I look at all the things where I go, oh my God, like that was cringy. You know, (laughs) like I have a lot of those moments or whatever it was that didn't work out the way I wanted, or I really wanted to do that thing and I didn't get to do that thing or whatever it is. And I, I shift my memory of it. I basically ask myself, if I were 20 years older looking at this, what would I think I had learned? And when I get the learning of it, suddenly the emotional impact is totally different. And so I make it a regular practice every night when I get in bed, you know, when you're kind of starting to fall asleep in that like sleepy kind of, your brainwave state is actually at a state that's really good for you to reimagine stuff. 
So my husband will say sometime at the end of the week, like everything didn't go right. Like you have this laundry list. Like sometimes I'll open my phone with my lot and I'm like Santa with my giant list. And I'm like, yeah, but I just turned them into good things. So that's kind of a complicated answer, but to your question, but I just get a learning from everything. And then everything becomes something that's, that's simple. Then at the end of the year, there's not really these big, awful things like Everything I go that I go that was hard and I learned this thing or that was hard and I already know how I'm going to look at that in 10 years. This is the same as like the perception is reality, right? That notion. Absolutely. You craft your own narrative because of the way you look at it as opposed to letting the thing dictate your own experience. There's science to show that that's true. Our reticular activating system picks up on things that we tell it are important. So if I tell you to think of a lion, do you guys have a picture of a lion in your mind? Yeah. Yep. So let me just ask you, is it the Lion King lion that you had in your mind? No. What's the picture you had? Mine is at the National Zoo lion. Okay. What about yours, Paulina? Mine is like National Ge like lion in its natural habitat. Okay. So mine is like this black and white picture from a beginning of a TV show that I used to watch when I was little. So we each created our own reality. There's a voting system that goes on, right? And so that voting system voted up your picture. It doesn't mean I can't access somebody else's picture. Once you said it, I was like, oh, I can imagine that. So there is science to show that that's true. So I say, like, let's play with that and make my reality. That means next year, anything is possible because I can be a creator instead of just running the old patterns and doing the same thing that I've done every year and had the same goals every year that never work out. Betsy, I have to ask you, and the editors can feel free to edit this out, but I have to ask, have you watched 1899 on Netflix yet? Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching it right now. Yeah. It is very much related to this conversation. So this is a subtle plug for that show on Netflix, but it's about your reality and dreams and what is truth and real based off of your own experiences. It's oddly aligned to this conversation. I know. It's so funny. I just started watching it. I'm like on episode four, I think. Well, yeah. You're, I probably just gave stuff away to you, but what will be it. <laughs> Well, I haven't started yet, so don't. no more spoilers. <laughs> that was the teaser. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, I feel like we've kind of covered this topic. Reflection is certainly something that is unique to the individual. There is so much value in capturing the positive of it. And, and you know, it's important to be conscious of time has impact over how we think of things and how we, you know, remember things. As we look to the new year, even just from the marketing org, I'm thinking we're rounding out the year with an award ceremony. We're saying thank you to our high achievers in the same breath. We're also budgeting and planning for 2023. And so I will speak for myself and maybe Alyssa, you can jump in here with how you think about your goal setting for yourself. But you know, there's, there's goal setting for myself as a individual, there's goal setting for myself as a manager, there's goal setting for my team. And then how, of course, all of that plays into the marketing department and the business at large. And it's so, in my opinion, right now, driven by list management or speaking to organization-wide goals or speaking to pillars that by way that we've organized our team by. And 
fundamentally, a list is something that you can easily regurgitate out. But I have the hardest time, and I think so many listeners would agree, that it's also easy to ignore a list. It's easy to rewrite the list. It's easy, you know, and so I feel like there's a really difficult time, at least for myself, to be held responsible to either maintaining that list and feeling that there's such rigidity in it. And I feel like that's one of the limitations around how I goal set. And so definitely looking forward to hearing some of your recommendations that are, you know, slightly out of the box, perhaps that would be helpful for those of us in this sort of goal setting period. I think that typical goal setting, and I'm thinking like New Year's resolution time, you've heard the statistics, right? By January 20th, most people have abandoned their New Year's resolution. Like, why is that? And the reason is because our brains are set up in a way that doesn't really encourage you to do these new things. Our brain really wants to keep us doing the same exact thing over and over and over again, because it knows that's what's going to keep us alive, basically. So I think it's helpful when we think about goals to think about the way our minds are actually set up. So I want to describe this and then I'll dive into kind of how to play around with this. So if you think of this like a ladder, at the bottom of the ladder is like your behavior. It's the things that you do. So I set a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, right? I mean, people have this same resolution every year for, you know, 15 years. 20 pounds, I'm going to lose. So my behavior is that I'm in a food prep, right? Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and then their environment is the next rung on the ladder. And then they go, I'm going to join a gym or I'm going to get a treadmill and I'm going to put it right in my living room. And so I'm meal prepping and I'm joining a gym. Like I'm making these changes. I'm not saying those things aren't good. Those things are great. The problem is, is that they're very conscious. Now, if I go to the next rung on the ladder, that's my potential. That's actually kind of getting into the unconscious of what I think I'm capable of. You know how you have those goals where you're like, that I will never do that. Like, I, that's just not going to happen. You know, somebody suggests something. I know I've had coaches before that have said, you should do that. And I'm like, oh, that will never happen. But I say, sure, sure. Because there's something inside my potential. And it could be all these unconscious things I get, like from my parents or from my environment or even my socioeconomic status as a young person impacts this, right? So, so many things, my teachers, all these things impact my potential. Now, right above my potential on the ladder is my beliefs. So now these are beliefs many times can be conscious, but overwhelmingly they're unconscious. Okay. So right above my beliefs are my values. These are the things like I will fight you, right? So the pug is a superior dog. <laughs> I will fight you, right? So like whatever you really believe, what you hold true. So right above that is my identity. But all of those things are unconscious. So I have my values, my beliefs, I'm sorry, my values and my identity at the top of this ladder. Now, anything above impacts what's below it. So whatever my values are is going to impact my beliefs, is going to impact my potential, is going to impact my environment and my behavior. Years ago, when I was like in my 40s, I used to um, compete with Olympic style weightlifting. So I competed in the snatch and the clean and jerk internationally. It's kind of a big deal. 
we would go on vacation and I would just call after I booked the hotel, I would call a gym nearby. And I, at one point I was, I was training for the Pan Ams and I said, I am training for the Pan Ams. I was like 45. I need to come by and use your gym to, you know, to keep training. And they were like, fine, it's fine. I went to Key West a couple months ago and I don't even know if I packed shoes. Like I just was like, we're not doing anything but laying around because my identity is different. So when I had the identity of an athlete, then I didn't even have to think about my environment. I just made that happen. That's when I'm in flow. That's when everything's easy. I do this stuff. It's so easy. But what happens when people have a goal in like real life is they change their environment and their behavior and it's not easy. And the moment, the moment that they're not thinking about their behavior or the environment, it goes to the unconscious and that takes over. That's 95% of every single thing you do. And when you have that shift, then whatever you're thinking unconsciously is going to impact your behavior. So now you go to Key West and all of a sudden you realize you didn't even bring shoes. You just brought your bathing suit. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if we could instead go, I have this goal. Let's say it's the same thing. I want to lose 20 pounds, right? Instead, I'm not going to worry about my behavior or my environment at all. I know this is radical because you're like, yeah, you have to. Instead, I'm going to say, what is the version of me that already does that? What is that identity? What does she really think? What does she spend her time on? What does she listen to? What does she read? Who are her friends? When people lose weight, other people will say to them, how'd you do it? I don't want to ask someone that's lost weight. I want to ask someone that's been skinny their whole life. Who are you? Right? How do you think? What do you really, like, how do you make decisions? Like, what are your thought patterns about stuff? So my suggestion for the new year, if you want to be radical, is to just let go of the behavior and environment and only work on your values, your beliefs, and your identity and get really clear on who she is and what she does and who he is and what he does and how that person that's already in you, or you wouldn't have the thought, how they act. And you can even give this, I call it, I, I'm going to be a little vulnerable and it's a little odd. And clearly I don't want to lose weight because my unconscious mind wouldn't like this, but I call myself Betsy, big, big fake. That's what I call her. So when I go, I'm going to be big, big, like I want to be big, big. That's my thing. I'm heading to Oprah's couch. When I want to head to Oprah's couch, I'm Betsy, big, big fake. So get yourself a name. What's the name? Who is she? And tap into her every single day. Do you find, Betsy, that you should detach from the outcomes a little bit more and not worry so much about hitting that, What to Paulina's point, not checking off the checklist? Those things eventually should happen naturally, I guess is my question, right? Like detach from what you think should happen. Yeah. So this is where I think it gets to where... If I were to give somebody one piece of advice in the whole world, I would say every day sit for five minutes, even five minutes, and listen in and ask yourself, what would I need to do to be that person? Because the lists and things, all of that is vital. We live in a physical world, right? We've got to we've got to do things physically on the physical plane to make changes and to have successes. What I'm saying is, what if it was easy? 
What if going to the checklist was easy? What if going to the gym was easy? What if creating the event and thinking of it in a whole new way or being super creative and doing something totally different with your events that you wanted to do but couldn't figure out how? What if you stepped into the every morning? Every morning I sit and I do not get up until I am Betsy Big Big Pig. I sit and I get in the feeling. Triple B over here. I have a little, I have a sign on my desk, even like one of those ones you turn on and it lights up, be big, big. So how do I, how do I embrace that? So to answer your question, I think that lists and all that are important. We have to do these things. What I'm saying is how can we do them with ease? How can it be fun? Because the purpose of having events is to create a really fun thing where people learn and expand and get a new experience. And so the journey of that should be the same way as what you want the outcome to be. Can you remind us again? So we wanted, you want to focus on the beliefs. Tell us those three again. And then. Yeah. So the, the beliefs, the values and the identity. I think the identity can feel kind of easy to, because you could find other people that are doing it and say, what are they doing? That's different than what I'm doing. Like you could study people, right? I do a lot of that. Beliefs, I think, can be really fun because the beliefs are going to be the things where you go, yeah, but this, yeah, but I have this happening because that means that you think that so much that you think it's real. Remember we were talking earlier about the lion. What do you imagine when I say that? You're creating. So if you are creating, then you, and you're, and you're constricted in your checking off of the lists and creating this event, you're carrying that with you. So if you could find out what those beliefs are, just change the beliefs. I say to my clients all the time, cause they'll say, yeah, but that's true. And I'll say, I don't care if it's true. It might be true. I'm using air quotes cause what's true. It might be true. So what, if it's not serving you, believe something different, believe something different. And there are ways and patterns we can take to be able to shift beliefs, but start to notice what you really think what you really think. And that's going to show you what those higher levels of the unconscious are. Absolutely love that. Alyssa, I can see that you're like, <laughs> you want to ask more questions. Oh yeah. Go for it. I can do this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I personally, I struggle with the reflection period. I would say I'm not great at goal setting and having the vision for future. Like that really it's intimidating when I've had interview questions, say, what's your five-year plan, right? I don't always have that roadmap or that vision for self. And I never really have. And part of that is a comfortable space. And I think that's a, you hit the nail on the head because we're good at doing what we already know how to do. But I also, I think there's a part of me that also is okay with accepting what is and just very yogi of me to just accept what is today and move on. And that's what's meant to be is and that, that there's comfort in that, right? And so goal setting's hard because if you set the goal and you hit it, then there's this failure component and it's an, you start to create this toxic thing of failure almost with goal setting. So I like this notion of kind of starting from the top down and being less focused on the literal output or the outcome and really focusing on self and really getting to know you and what's supposed to happen then will happen for the right version of yourself. If being highly creative, highly collaborative, all of those things that you're, you're non-comparables to focus on that in, in your reflection, I think is a more purpose-built 
exercise than to try to say, I'm going to, like you said, Betsy, lose weight this year, or I'm going to do something that's very transactional. Instead, if you said, I'm going to be like the healthiest version of me, I'm going to be the kind of person who loves, I'm going to be the kind of person who does a turkey trot on Thanksgiving. <laughs> dear God, dear God, no. But you know what I mean? Like some people that- be a turkey trotter. Yes, right? There are those people and I love them. I see them on Facebook and I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool that you do that. I am still in my pajamas. It's 2.30. But I love that for them. And I do think that if you focus on, I'm going to be that version of me. I also want to distinguish that it's not, I want to be them. That version of me exists inside me. And so if I want to create events that are like magical and give people a totally different way of thinking, right? I know when I show up to speak, I want to do something that's like, they've never heard it before, you know, and they go, oh, whoa, and they're still talking about it. Well, that exists in me. If I sit down to write a speech and I'm like, I can't think, I can't think, I can't think, stop that. And I say, okay, let me get in the space of me being that version of me. Let me access her. Yeah, it's more of a saying like, I am statements as opposed to I want to be, right? Like in that instance, it's I am inspiring and I am a leader, right? And you're kind of manifesting that in a way. Absolutely. Bringing it into your awareness. And because if we want to go back to the science, the more I'm focused on it, the more my brain thinks it's important. And so it thinks it's really important. It's going to find more instances of that in the world for me. And that's going to create my reality. So you can totally have a totally different year. Like your whole year next year can be joyful and insane, even if you had a year that was really hard this year, you know, or you've had a hard couple of years. It doesn't matter. You can say, thank you, thank you, thank you for all these lessons. And then this year, I'm going to do something totally different. I love this. I mean, I'm starting to already think about things right now. And, you know, they say, I can't remember what the number is, but it's like 28 days to create a habit, something like 90 days to break a habit, whatever. I feel like what is the sort of grace period that we can afford ourselves for changing the mindset, changing our beliefs, changing this sort of conversation that we're having so that we get to March and we've been doing this sort of exercise, right? This We've been trying to practice this. Are there certain points where we need to have a check-in and say, I am, or am I still trying to be? Like, how, how do we keep ourselves accountable, I guess, is something I'm asking here. There's so many things that I want to say about it. So one thing is, I think if you're constantly celebrating, so your check-in should be every week. You're celebrating every week, right? And you're noticing things. I also think that there is this thing that's going to happen where you're going to notice that you're thinking differently. Will you have the thing? Maybe, but maybe not, but you're going to feel that you're different. Sometimes I'll say, and actually I just said this today because I had the big, big thing and I was talking to a friend about the big, big. And I said, um, you don't see it yet, but big, big already exists, but you can't see it in your physical reality. So I do think there's a feeling. And I think that is something to really notice and to start recognizing, how do I feel? Am I having more joy? Am I having more fun? And those are going to lead you to the steps that are going to move the needle. So the 21 days to break a habit, I, I, I love that as a, as a concept, but I know I, I have a scar on my arm from when I was a little kid where I reached across and hit the iron. Even now, 
as an adult. I am afraid of an iron. I did not have to do that 21 days. I did it once because it had a ton of emotion. So when you sit in the morning and you get big, big, whatever your version of that is, have the emotion, bring the emotion. And then it doesn't take 21 days. It can take a day for you to change because when you change, then you are the kind of person who does. And then the list becomes easy and the goals become easier. And I love having stuff to strive for, but I don't have a five-year plan. Like that's just me. And I've just accepted that about myself and said, I, I love 90 days. I want to see how, what can I create in 90 days? Earlier this year, I was saying to myself, like, I'm bored. You know how you have that thing where you're just like, I'm bored. I'm just not happy. And one night I was scrolling on the tickety talk as one does when they get in bed. And I saw this TikTok of this man that was in Finland and he was snowshoeing and the Northern lights were like swirling above him. And I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. And I actually said out loud, I want that. Like there was a lot of emotion. I actually cried. I watched the TikTok probably like 20 times. I, I don't know that I really wanted to see the Northern Lights or to be in the snow, but there was something about that. And so I just let myself really get in the emotion of that. And I thought, I don't know what will happen, but I want that. And actually the next day I got on Facebook and I was scrolling and I saw this post in an entrepreneurial group I'm in. And it said, we're going to Iceland for a month. There's one spot left if anybody wants it. And I was like, oh my God, like I did that because I had all this emotion. So I did. I signed up. I went to Iceland for a month. My husband came home from work that day. And I said, so in a couple of weeks, I'm leaving <laughs> Iceland for a month. And I went all over the entire country and I, I got that. Now that's kind of an extreme, but what we give emotion to is what's going to raise the level in our brain of awareness, right? It's going to start noticing. That post would have come up anyway, but I would have totally disregarded it because I don't like the cold. You know, I would have just scrolled right past it. But because I had that experience, my brain was like, look, look, check that out. You know, I bought a coat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That was the amazing. Moral of the story is I have a new coat. Yeah. <laughs> She didn't pack shoes, but she bought a new coat. <laughs> I didn't even have a winter coat. I live in Atlanta, you know? I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to Iceland. But my point of that is that when you have a lot of emotion, things will show up. So find, like, what is the feeling that you want to have? I didn't have to say I want to go to Iceland with a bunch of digital nomads, you know, that are all in their 20s. I mean, I had the best time. But like, What's the feeling? I wanted the feeling of expansiveness. I wanted to go like, that's magical. Like if I could see that, then I would know I was part of something bigger. And that's what I wanted. And so that's what came. And that has come all year in lots of different ways. What if you're an over empath? And so you find emotion in everything. <laughs> I'm saying this maybe from personal experience, but I feel like how do you decipher from it? Or you're just saying, you know what, just take the step and try it out. You know, cause for me, I feel like I contribute emotion to so many things, a Jeep commercial to a TikTok to, you know, a love letter. Right. So to me, I feel like I can find it in everything. How do I scale it down to be impactful? What's the good feeling? Linger with the good feelings. I think it's the kind of thing. And I cry at the salt and pepper shaker commercial from Publix, you know, those little pilgrims. So I totally get that. And I think that's okay. And linger on the good. 
Like if I see like the Olympics and somebody is like crossing the finish line and it is so like feel it. I mean, if I'm getting on the spiritual side, that's why we're here to experience all these emotions and that will bring more of that stuff to you. So if you're feeling a negative emotion as an empath, I would recognize that and acknowledge it and say, I can, I have a lot of feeling and I'm recognizing the contrast. When I see something really awful out there on the news, it feels so bad because of the contrast in my regular life. And then I'm seeing, you know, the war in Ukraine and that's so different from my life. So I'm noticing the difference in that. And I just recognize that and say the best thing that I can do for the world, because if I can do something for Ukraine, that's great. But the best thing I can do for the world is to feel as good as I can. That's how I'm going to impact the world and raise the vibration of the world, right? If we want to use that term. I love this because I feel like, you know, we seek inspiration as I'm speaking as an event professional now, but we seek inspiration across so much and tapping into that emotion can both help us as an individual, like you're saying, you know, expand, be a feeling like you're part of something bigger, but we can also harness that in a really creative way and, and, and perhaps inject that into some of our events, right? We're expanding that community that we're bringing together every event that we put on. It also ties person to career and career to passion and all of those things. It's how you make your life passion-filled and purposeful. Wow. This has been cathartic. I am ready to go into the holiday reflection season, goal-setting season, full storm. How about you, Alyssa? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. This was great. I feel a little bit validate it that I'm like, okay, it's okay not to have a list. Like not that I'm doing it right, but I'm not doing it wrong either. So I feel like I have a little bit more of a toolkit to say, this is, these are the things that I can think about as I go into a goal setting process. Cause there's definitely where I think so many people are at a crossroads. Like we see that in the data in terms of people leaving their jobs and focusing on families or looking into new career fields and things like that. And I think everybody has a little taste of that and doing a, a little bit of inventory on self, but I don't always have the go forward. There is the reflection, but the, how do I take action on this is not always so clear. And I think what we talked about today is very useful and a little bit easier to do than just for me writing a list, right? Or having the PowerPoint plan. <laughs> yes. And definitely more fun. Well, I think that's about time. Thank you so much, Betsy, for joining us today. Episode two with Betsy Paik. You've been a wonderful guest. I can't wait to have you back on a future episode. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed our chat today with Betsy, found some inspiration for your opportunities of reflection and goal setting as we move into the new year. Hopefully you learned some interesting ways to approach both. And we hope this inspires your event programs as well as, you know, your own professional and personal development. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Great Events, a podcast by Seabum. If you want more resources on how to make your events great, go to community.cvent.com. That's community.cvent.com. Or if you've got a question for us, or just want to say hi, email us at greatevents at cvent.com.